you know, we're going to wrap up with, uh, with King David today. Uh, I hope you found the series to be uh, useful. Uh, as we're, you know, looking at his life and today, uh, it, it will be another one of those cases where we, where we see, uh, you know, the, one of the lowest kind of things about David and we also see one of the highest things uh, uh, about David. And that means next week we start a new series. Uh, the new series is going to be kind of our summer series. Uh, and we're, we're going to look at some psalms, right, which David wrote a lot of the psalms. So we're going to look at, uh, at psalms and uh, the ten top Googled psalms, right? I was thinking we'd get a lottery together about, you know, what they... No, we don't do that at Christ Church. Don't, don't go there, right? But anyway, um, well, as we wrap up David, uh, wrap up David today, remember where we started, and uh, it's kind of bookends. Where we started uh, in our, our opening message about David was that that what set David apart, right? And it even comes into the New Testament in the book of Acts, right? What sets David apart is uh, that, that God pursues David because uh, David is a man after God's own heart, right? That, that even though David has his really low points in his life and gets captured by sin, nonetheless, he continues to have this, this heart uh, for God. We're going to see that today. Uh, and because he has this heart for God, it leads him to, to act in, in the best interest of God, right? It seeks God's future uh, for his life and for the life of those uh, around him, right? And, and we'll see that today. The big thing uh, that we get uh, hopefully today from David is that understanding uh, that, yeah, he has a heart for God, but David in his later years, and that's what we're going to be talking about today, David in his later years, uh, he understands the importance of sharing that heart and translating that heart to another generation. David in his later years. So the, the time we're going to be talking about now is when David is, you know, 60 years old uh, and, and beyond, right? He's in his mid to late, late 60s, so the 60s uh, and, and beyond. Uh, and as he's in this time, you'll see today that David becomes aware in his heart of the importance of legacy, of what's next, what's, what's after David, right? Uh, and so David, in this part of his life, will see legacy becomes an important factor. Uh, and what I hope you'll understand is that legacy begins first at home, right? So in this message, uh, we're going to talk to parents, uh, some, and it's not just parents with little kids. I mean, it's just parents, right? Because you never outgrow that experience. Uh, it's just parents. And hopefully you'll see, again, with David, that, that there's being a parent and being conscious of this legacy uh, means that you have to be able to face issues, but most importantly, you have to always be looking to pass the faith forward, right? And let, let's get into it with David. So what happens with David is uh, he's uh, got several wives, and I guess the outcome of several wives is you end up with several kids. Uh, and that's what happens to David. He's got several kids. And uh, one of those is a son named uh, Absalom. Uh, and then he also has a daughter named uh, Tamar, Absalom's sister. Uh, and then he has another son named Amnon, who is a half-brother to Absalom uh, and Tamar. The trouble is Amnon uh, falls desperately in love uh, with Tamar. And uh, like his dad, he has this side of him that can be devious. And so he develops this devious plot uh, to get his half-sister Tamar uh, alone with him. And so he gets her alone, and uh, in that experience, he forces himself uh, upon her. 
And of course, she resists uh, his advances and she cries out and says, no, my brother, don't, don't be foolish. Don't do this to me. Such wicked things aren't done uh, in Israel. Like, where could I go in shame? And uh, you'd be called one of the greatest fools uh, in Israel. Please just speak to the king about it uh, and he will let you uh, marry me. What does she want? Not only don't do this, it's really horrendous, it's terrible, it's foolish. Don't do this, you'll regret it. But, uh, but also, just, just go talk to the king. Go talk to your dad, right? Get the conversation going uh, with your dad. Uh, Amnon ignores that encouragement uh, and he rapes uh, his half-sister, Tamar. Absalom, her brother, uh, is aware of this. And so he talks to Tamar and says, is it true that Amnon has been with you? Well, my sister, keep quiet for now. Since he's your brother, don't you worry about it. What does he advise her to do? Yep, that's it. Keep quiet. Do you see a trend happening in this family? This is not a good trend. They, they keep quiet. They, they don't talk about things, right? And so Tamar keeps quiet. She doesn't confront. She doesn't talk. She just lives in her brother Absalom's uh, house. And finally, David becomes aware of it. When King David heard what had happened, he was very angry. But notice the footnote. In some of the transcripts, some of the early transcripts, it also says, but he did not punish his son Amnon because he loved him, for he was his firstborn. What did David do? Nothing. Are you kidding me? He did nothing. I mean, you heard Tamar say, this is like the worst of the worst. This is like the most foolish thing you could do. This is an offense against God. It's an offense against the kingdom. This is the most terrible thing that Amnon could do. His son Amnon does this horrible thing. And what does David do? What does King David do as the king and prince? And what does dad David do? He does nothing. He says nothing. This is not one of David's greatest moments, agreed? He does nothing. He says nothing. And the justification in the text is he does nothing and he says nothing because he loves his son Amnon and he is the firstborn. He's the one that's going to sit upon the throne. Here's a lesson for you. You ready, parents? If you love your kids, deal with their sin. If you love your kids, deal with it. Talk about it. Be in conversation about it. Don't ignore it. Don't just pass it by and say, well, you know, they'll grow out of it. No, when they're two, they won't grow out of it. It'll be there when they're 12. And if it's there when they're 12, it'll be there when they're 20. We don't grow out of sin. We just get better at it. If you love your kids, don't ignore it. Talk about it. Because there's consequences when we ignore it. What happens for David's family? Two years later, Absalom decides to throw a big party. Remember, two years later. He's been sitting on this for two years. 
Two years later, he decides to throw a big party. He invites David. David can't make it. But all of David's sons come to the big party. Included is Amnon. Absalom has devised this plan. He too has learned from his father to be devious. And so he devises this plan. What are we going to learn from this? Here's what you're going to see. Sin ignored will become sin multiplied. Sin ignored becomes sin multiplied. David ignored Amnon's sin, and now the consequences of that sin are going to be multiplied as Amnon now has, or as Absalom now has Amnon murdered. Absalom gives a signal to his servants, and his servants now uh, murder Amnon. Absalom flees and goes to his granddad, uh, and he stays uh, with his grandfather. Uh, for three years. And what do you suppose David does? Now he's had one son who committed rape, he's had another son who's committed murder, and what do you suppose David does? Nothing. He does nothing. He does nothing as a king, and he does nothing as a dad. Once again, he ignores it. Finally, he begins to miss his son Absalom, the text says, and King David now uh, is reconciled to the death of Amnon, and so he longs to be reunited with his son Absalom, and some of the texts say that he no longer felt a need to go out after Absalom. David does nothing and figures time will just heal everything. No, it doesn't. Joab, David's general, goes and collects up Absalom. He brings him back to Jerusalem. But here's the deal. Absalom comes back, but the king says he can go back to his house, but he must never come into my presence. Absalom is back in Jerusalem. He's back where, you know, in the palace arena. He's back in his house, but he can't see David. This goes on for two years. Two years. Finally, the general manipulates, and he finally gets Absalom in front of David. And it says, then at last David summoned, summoned Absalom, who came and bowed Lao before the king, and the king kissed him. And we want to say in our hearts what? Oh, finally they got reconciled. Finally David shows grace, and the family's back together again. No. David shows grace, but Absalom becomes entrenched in his hatred and his disgust with his father. Here's another lesson. Sin ignored can become sin entrenched. Where did this all start? Because David ignored Amnon's sin and nobody talked about it. And it ultimately led to Absalom committing murder. And now you think they're reconciled, but not so much. Absalom devises a plan. What he does is he goes and he begins sitting at the city gate. And when people come into the city of Jerusalem, he is right there to welcome them. And when they come with a case that should go before the king, Absalom greets them and says, well, you've got a really strong case here. It's too bad, too bad the king doesn't have anyone to hear it. I wish I were the judge, then everyone could bring their cases to me for judgment and I would give them justice. Translation, hey, 
throw David dad under the bus because if I were king, if I were the one deciding your case, it would go well for you. Do you think the people like the guy? He spends four years winning the hearts of people and throwing his dad under the bus. And ultimately then, after these four years, Absalom mounts a revolt. He gathers, he's won the hearts of the people, he gathers the people, he gathers the troops, and he now seeks to overthrow his father, David. And David has to flee Jerusalem in the darkness. In order to preserve Jerusalem, to save the city, to save the people in the city, David takes a small entourage of faithful followers, and now he flees the city. Now think about this with David. He has sat on that throne for how many years? He is in his like late 50s and 60s here. And all of a sudden, everything is ripped away. Why? Because he ignored sin in his family. And nobody talked about it. And it's in this moment that David has this amazing transition, this, this amazing awareness in his life. As everything now has been ripped away from him. David understands that he has to trust God for the future and he has to trust God for his family. He has to trust God for his future and he has to trust God for his family. As he's fleeing the city, they're bringing the Ark of the Covenant, that box of the power and the presence of God. And David says, no, take the box back. Take the covenant box back into the city. And he makes this amazing statement. Let this one sink in. He says, if the Lord sees fit, he will bring me back to see the Ark and the tabernacle again. But if he's through with me, let him do whatever he sees best to me. Isn't that incredible? With everything ripped away, David comes to this awareness that he simply has to trust God for his future. And he has to trust God for his family. Mom and Dad, are you in that place? I mean, life may throw curves and twists, and your family may not be turning out the way you thought it was going to turn out but it doesn't mean God has abandoned you, nor has God abandoned your family. For David, he takes that step and he understands. He just has to trust God for his future and he has to trust his family into God's hand as well. Mom and Dad, have you truly given your kids over to the Lord? I mean, that's what we do in baptism, right? We bring those infants to baptism or we bring adults to baptism and we say they're no longer ours, they belong to him, right? They, they belong to God. God determines their future. David comes to this place and he understands. He has to just trust God for not only his future, but he has to trust God for his family's future. What ultimately happens is uh, the revolt is put down uh, Absalom's troops are defeated. Uh, even though David desires Absalom to be preserved alive, 
uh, Absalom is ultimately uh, killed and David returns to the throne. But David returns to the throne a changed person. And he now changes, not simply in having a heart for God, but David now has a heart for the future. He has a heart for the future in the next generation. We'll see it in his next steps. What happens for David is the contrast of not talking about it to the contrast of sharing his heart. What he does is he passes on his faith, he passes on a vision, and he makes sure there's provision for the vision. Here's how it looks. David ultimately names Solomon his son to become the next king. All the officials show up, everybody's happy that Solomon is gonna be king, and they come before David, they congratulate him and say, May your God make Solomon's fame even greater than your own, and may Solomon's reign be even greater than yours. Isn't that fascinating? We would translate that how? We'd say, well, we just want it better for our kids. Amen? We just want it better for our kids. And they're saying, listen, David, that's what we want. And David embraces that. David isn't concerned about his reputation. David isn't concerned about what people say about him anymore, right? David is totally buying in and saying, no, what's important here is what comes next. It's about the next generation. We have made, laid, laid the groundwork with the next generation has to move the ball forward. He says, the king bows his head in worship, right? He's thanking God for this. He lays on his bed and he says, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, the God of Israel, who today has chosen a successor to sit on my throne while I am still alive to see it. He sees the future beginning to unfold. He sees the importance of capturing the next generation. And then he talks to his son. He comes to Solomon. I'm going where everyone on earth must someday go. Take courage and be a man. Observe the requirements of the Lord your God and follow his ways. Keep the decrees and the commands and the regulations, the laws written in the law of Moses, so that you will be successful in all you do and wherever you go. What does he do? David, this guy who has a heart for God, right? This is what he's known for. He has a heart for God. David now begins to share his heart with Solomon. Remember where things went wrong in the beginning? Nobody talked, right? Nobody talked. Everybody ignored. David now, trusting God for his future and for his family's future and for the kingdom's future, he now makes a point to share his heart with his son. Parents, share your heart with your kids. Make sure they know your faith. Make sure you share the most valuable, the importance of Christ in your life, the, the forgiveness that you found in Christ. Don't ignore simply their sin, but don't ignore your sin. Share the grace and the love of Christ that you've discovered in your own life. Pass that on 
into the next generation and into your kids and into your family so that there'll always be somebody in your family who will bring Christ into every conversation. David shares his heart with Solomon. And with all the assembly gathered, he says, So now with God as our witness, and in the sight of all Israel, the Lord's assembly, I give you this charge. Be careful to obey all the commands of the Lord your God, so that you may continue to possess this good land and leave it where? Leave it to your children as a permanent inheritance. David isn't just looking at Solomon's generation. He's looking at the generation beyond. We're in this for the long game. We're in this for the long game, to capture the hearts of the next generation and the generation after that and the generation after that with the good news and the gospel and the grace of Jesus Christ, whether it's here or whether it's in Ethiopia. David understands. It is important for him now as he ends his life to share his heart with his son, but to look beyond and capture the next generation. Now here's where it really gets fascinating. David shares his heart with Solomon, but he doesn't stop there. He gets real practical with Solomon. He sits down, he says, it says that David gave Solomon the plans for the temple and its surroundings. David understood he wasn't going to be the guy to build the temple, but he gave a vision to his son Solomon to say, Solomon, this is what God is bringing for you. This is what God is putting on your plate. This is what God has in your future. And so he challenges his son Solomon to be faithful, but he challenges them to go ahead and build Build the temple. Go ahead and step into the future God has for you, right? He's trusting God for Solomon's future. Step into the future God has for you. Listen, parents, this is really important. Your kids are not only God's future, but they may be Christ Church's future. We're, we're raising up kids around here who are going to take this church to the next generation and the next generation. David understood a vision, and he passes that vision on to his son Solomon. And then he does something really astounding. Not only does he share his heart, not only does he share a vision, but then he gets real serious and practical, and he makes sure that Solomon has the provision to go ahead and carry it forward. David says, Using every resource at my command, I have gathered as much as I could for building the temple of my God. And now, because of my devotion uh, to the temple of my God, I am giving all my own private treasures of gold and silver to help in the construction, what David do? He shared his heart. He shared a vision. And then he shared provision. He got real practical. He made sure that he was financially providing for the next generation. He had it in his will. Let's get real practical. Christ Church, covenant members, regular attenders, are you doing that? Are you serious about your provision? Are you serious about your generosity that you're looking beyond not just today, 
but you're looking for generations to come, that you've made sure that the gospel is going to be proclaimed here at Christ Church for generations to come because you've made it clear you're going to provide for that. Give you witness, Jill and I have. Christ Church is going to be good when we're gone. It's in our will. Our kids will be taken care of, sure, but part of it is to make sure that the gospel continues in this place to the next generation. And so when your kid rises up and they're standing up on the platform and proclaiming the gospel to a new generation of young people, they're going to be provided for. David understood he was responsible to do that. And so he not only passes on his heart, he not only passes on a vision, but he makes sure there's provision for the next generation. It is up to us to capture the hearts of the next generation and to provide for them. This is what David does. And then he asks that hard, challenging question, who will follow my example? As we wrap up with David today, that is the question. Are we ready to follow what we've learned from this life experience of David? And understand, if you trust God for your future and if you trust God for your kids' future and for the next generation, God will honor that. Look what happens to Solomon. Solomon sits upon the throne and what is the first thing he asks for? Give me an understanding what? What was David known for? A man after God's own heart, that he had a heart for God. And now his son sits upon the throne. And what does he ask for? An understanding heart. And what he asks for pleases the Lord. If we learn from David, we learn from David not only in his great times, but we learn from David in his weakest of times. And in these later years, he ultimately dies around the age of 70. In these later years, we learn the importance of just trusting God for our future, for our family's future, the importance of not ignoring sin, but talking, and the importance of sharing our heart with another generation. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, the grace that you uh, made so clear in David's life. And uh, he wasn't a perfect guy, but neither are we. And uh, yet you used him. His heart stayed bent towards you. So Lord, we ask uh, today, keep our hearts in the right place that we can trust you for our future, that we can trust you for our families, that we can trust you for the next generation. And plant in us uh, not simply a vision for the future, but a desire uh, even down to the provision for a future. Help us to step into that so that uh, Christ Church can continue to proclaim your grace, your love, and your forgiveness. That grace and truth will continue uh, for generations to come. We ask this humbly in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, uh, today we're talking...